Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to just read uh, uh, something that'll be that is in the bulletin at uh, our church at Community Bible Fellowship this morning. That is for um, specifically for mothers and um, uh, our administrative assistant asked if if she could slip that in the bulletin, and I just thought it was beautiful, and I wanted to encourage moms with it. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a godly, loving mother, um, and so uh, my wife uh, as well is uh, an amazing, godly mother, and so I've uh, been very spoiled in that. But I think sometimes it's easy for um, moms to get uh, caught up in many different things that they lose track of how God is mightily using them, how important they are, and despite other women's Facebook posts, they're actually living a very normal life, the same as everybody else's. People just pick and choose what things they want to put on Facebook um, and, and kind of spin it how they want. So um, this is something I just wanted to share with uh, the mothers that are here this morning. Great things is the title of the poem. Lord, I was going to do great things for you this morning, but then our baby woke up and she needed her diaper change and her breakfast. She wanted to show me that she has learned to roll over, and by then it was time to rock her for a nap, and my morning was gone. Lord, I was going to do great things for you this afternoon, but then our kindergartner got home and needed lunch. He wanted to show me how to make D's and rectangles. He climbed into my lap and told me about his day, and my afternoon was nearly gone. Lord, I was going to do great things for you before dinner, but then our high schooler finished her homework and wanted to talk about school, her classes, and her friends. She kept talking, even when I moved into the kitchen, and I listened to her fears and joys, and then dinner was on the table. Lord, I was going to do great things for you this evening, but then our newly married daughter walked in, wanted to talk about the confusing state of life called marriage. I listened, and I advised, and I loved on her, and my evening had disappeared. Lord, I was going to do at least one great thing for you tonight, but my husband was suddenly at my side and needed my ears, my arms, and my heart. He shared his thoughts, his dreams, his fears for the future. He needed me to bolster his faith and confidence, and I finally turned out the light. As I lay in the dark, I silently cried. I told you I was sorry because I was going to do great things for you today. Then you touched my soul and you whispered, you did. Amen. And that is kind of the theme of John 17. There is a lot that goes on that sometimes we can lose perspective. You guys have been covering the disciples and their loss of con their confusion and loss of perspective in following Christ. And some things intentionally God was confusing um, them of. And some things they just were a little stubborn and hard to, to swallow and, and trust in Christ and the things that he was sharing with them. And so um, as Mother's Day comes around, I think about my mom, and I often think about the beauty of the life that she led and the fact that it was a very simplistic life. Uh, she, she wasn't really uh, complex. Uh, she was a little anxious at times, but she loved a couple of things. If I could, she died in 2009, and if I could sum her life up for you all, I would say that my mom loved Jesus with all of her heart and blindly followed him and trusted him no matter what situations in life brought about. I would say that she also loved her children 
and she prayed for them fervently, trusting that they too would have the same faith in Jesus that she had. And so I thought how appropriate on this Mother's Day um, to look into John's uh, gospel into the 17th chapter here because I think it really identifies what, if you could boil John 17 down, of what I want to talk to us about this morning. Um, I'm privileged to be able to always open God's word and speak the whole counsel of God whenever, because it's not my words, it's the word of God and it's truth. Um, but John 17 is one of those things that I don't know if you have ever experienced this in your life, but there are moments in life that there are monumental things that happen. There's markers in our lives that forever we're, we can't let go of. They, they, they follow with us. We remember them like they were yesterday. And so um, for many of us, that is some gloomy memories. And for some of us, that is happy, joyful memories. And for a lot of us, it's a mixture of both. And so um, John 17, for me in my life, if I was going to get a tattoo, which I am not sadistic and I don't like pain, uh, which is the only reason, otherwise I would have tons of tattoos, I would have a tattoo. It would be John 17. This would be one of the ones that I would want people to know has characterized my walk with Christ and something that God has used in my life to teach me. Other people might have stones out in front of their house with a passage of scripture or a famous quote or when you walk in their house, there's an empty chair that's always kept at the table at holidays in memory of those that are not here. There are different things that we do for that. And for me, John 17 is one of those markers. So I just want to share ahead of time, this is a very personal passage for me, but I want us to all walk away this morning with the big idea of this morning is that the glorification of God allows for protection, adoption, purpose, unity, and the sharing in Christ's glory for his followers. Okay, I want to say that again. What John 17 teaches us, among many things, and what we are going to focus on is that it allows for God's protection, adoption, purpose, unity, and sharing in Christ's glory for his followers. So we know that Jesus has continued to say over and over again, as you all have been listening to Eric teach, and if you've been going through the gospel of John and others speak as well, the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. And Jesus seems to be on this broken record of the time has not yet come. Therefore, let us look and read together in John 17. And I'm going to break this down um, into little pieces, um, basically three sections. But I'm going to spend the majority of my time on one section of it because it's what I believe that God really has laid on my heart that that I have been sent to share with you this morning. Um, and I hope it is an encouragement to you. Um, but I think to put it in the context, we need to be faithful in going through the whole chapter and pointing out things. Uh, Eric has given me two hours this morning, which I'm really thankful for because John 17, you could spend months on. There is so much stuff here that like, I feel like I'm cheapening the whole thing, even thinking about what I'm going to speak on this morning. This is an unbelievable chapter of the Bible, and I would encourage anybody, just spend your life reading John 17, and you will be amazed at so many amazing truths that are in here. 
Um, I grew up in a home, uh, that, and this is, by the way, John 17, you might see in your Bibles or people might refer to as the high priestly prayer, okay? I actually think, a, and it is that, but I think a more accurate term is this is actually the Lord's Prayer. Okay, we talk about the Lord's Prayer and we think, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, and that, you guys didn't join me, so that's good. We'll stop there. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about, right? That's what we think of when we think of the Lord's Prayer. But what we fail to, to stop and think about sometime, and there's many theologians that like to really hunker down on, um, you know, little specific things to say that's not accurate. The disciples asked Jesus how they should pray. Okay, so if you think about everything that's in the Lord's Prayer, there's a lot of it that is, that is how Christ speaks to the Father. But Christ has never sinned against anybody. So he can't ask for forgiveness of sins that he's done to someone else. Okay, so that's why people would say it's probably not the right descriptor to say it's the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's teaching prayer. It's the Lord's uh, example of as, as believers of followers of Christ, this is how we should pray, okay? So I, I have titled this message, The Lord's Prayer in John 17. Now, I grew up in a home. I've shared my testimony um, off and on with you all uh, many a times, but just to kind of put into context what I'd really like to talk about this morning and focus on is I, my oldest brother is Matthew Wade. My older brother is Mark Knoll. I am Luke David, and my youngest brother is John Gary. If you take away our last name and our middle name, and you're following along, that means, in order, the names of our family are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's no one else in our family after that. So there's, there's, no, there's no sisters, there's no other younger siblings. So it, needless to say, I grew up in a home that valued the Bible, that valued God. Um, and I shared with you about my mom and her faith and my dad as well. Um, had a very strong walk with the Lord. However, in the, in the world that I grew up, I learned a lot. I was, I was dunked in uh, Bible training from the time that I was old enough to remember. I mean, we had Sunday school. We had Sunday morning church. We had Sunday night church. We had Wednesday night church. We had revival meetings. We had evangelistic meetings. I went to a Christian school. We had Bible classes every day. We had chapel every day. Um, and then we went to summer Christian camp where you guessed it, you had three messages a day for that week that you were gone. So everywhere I went, all that I did, I was constantly being told about the Bible. And so in the Old Testament, I knew that basically I would sum up the Old Testament is people that one time walked with God became idiots and became selfish, and then they got in trouble, and then terrible things happened, and then God restored them, and then the next people didn't read the news about the day before, so then they started this whole cycle, and it's a bad thing not to follow God. Okay, that's, is that fair? So that, that's how I would have summarized what I thought I heard about the Old Testament. The New Testament was so confusing for me. I don't know why, but I because otherwise, that, besides the fact that my eyes were blinded, what I took away from the New Testament was this is the gospel. You don't want to go to hell. Okay? So while that's true, that you definitely don't want to go to hell, when you tie that into the Old Testament, the only purpose I thought that my existence was was to get my insurance policy, and I could only get that insurance policy because I needed to pray the sinner's prayer. And so I agonized. I mean, I agonized so hard over the sinner's prayer. Like every night I prayed the sinner's prayer because maybe I didn't quite get it right. And I don't want to go to hell. 
I'm terrified. I mean, I walked an aisle, like our church used to have, you know, at the end of the service, you'd walk the aisle. I walked an aisle like every other week. I got baptized like three times because I got saved so many times. I was so confused. And I literally thought the whole gospel message, the whole purpose of the New Testament was, you don't want to die and go to hell. And so I, I lived out of fear. And that was my blinded understanding of what the gospel was about. And so um, one day, God worked in my heart in an amazing way that I should back up a little. When I was about 17, I spent about a six-year span of finding myself. Has anybody ever done that before? What's the real meaning of life? And so for six years, I explored it all. I explored legalism. I explored no morals. I explored everything almost that you could imagine, different faiths, everything else. And guess what? I came back to the same place that I had started, miserable, lost, and everything was empty. And so I had a conversation with the wall one day, and as I was having this conversation with the wall, I said, okay, God, if you really exist, because the thought had crossed my mind, what if my parents were duped? What if I'm in this cult, and all these people that spend all this time in church together, they're, like, they're, they're really confused. They're just drinking the Kool-Aid. And what if I'm doing that, and I'm wasting my life? And so I came to this point, I said, okay, if I'm talking to the wall and God, you can hear me and you're real, then I know everything in the Bible about what happens to people that are idiots and don't follow you. And I don't want to be an idiot, so I'll follow you. And, and, and I also understand from the rest of this that like, I'll never be perfect, but it goes well if I give my whole life to you and follow you and don't ask questions. Just be thankful that you, you have created me and, and, I will, and I'll give my entire life to you. No questions asked. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But if I am talking to a wall, and God, you don't exist, then really, there's nothing that matters in life. And so, thankfully and graciously, God's Holy Spirit was doing a work in me that I didn't realize in that time, of stirring in my soul a desire for him. And God revealed himself to me and made himself very real. And I started to understand what the gospel message was, that Jesus came to restore that which was been broken. He came to make right what was made wrong. That he was sent not to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. And that, that meant that he cared for others, but that also included myself. And that he wants me to be with him and have an abundant life with him. And all of a sudden, when I realized that that was the gospel, and then I also realized that one day, people who have rejected Christ, when their time is up on earth, that they will be separated eternally from God. And then, yes, eventually they will be put into hell. So that is the truth. But that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to have my relationship restored with the maker who willingly gave his son who knew no sin so that I could become his. Okay? And the reason I'm reviewing that and sharing that with you is I, I really want to walk you through how a chapter in the Bible can become a part of your life and how you can trust it and how God's word, his truth, can sanctify you, set you apart and put you on a focus on what truth is and how to live. And so as we look into John 17, um, I'm going to come back to that portion of my life later, but that is um, something I just want to kind of preface before this chapter came into my life. John 17 in verse 1 says, Jesus spoke these things. 
he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life. Okay, so this is what he says eternal life is, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by coming, completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. John 17 is this cool snapshot that we have almost nowhere else in the New Testament. We know in the New Testament, there's all these places where Jesus went off and prayed. Jesus went off and prayed. Jesus went off and prayed. Jesus drew away from people and he prayed. But we actually have one of the prayers that Jesus privately prayed to his father. And we see his heart. And we see right before he is betrayed, what is on his heart. And he's moving from the time has not yet come to, Father, the time has come. Everything that you sent me to do, I have been doing, and I am getting ready for everything to go live. Okay? So that's where we are. And so one of the things when we think about um, chapter 17 is we think about the first part is that we're looking at the fact that Jesus is praying for himself. So one of the things that we should take away from that is that sometimes people are like, well, I think it's kind of selfish to pray for yourself. Well, Jesus didn't find that so. So I think that we're, we're given a pretty good um, uh, example here and an okay that it's okay to pray for ourselves. But look at how Jesus is praying. He is praying that he would be glorified so that his father would be glorified. That's, that's the glory for Jesus is that his father gets the glory. Okay? So that is our savior. That is what he starts the prayer off. Then he talks about um, that what eternal life is, and that's to, to know. And that word's know, not like I understand. It is like it is to have an intimate relationship with, like to truly understand. You know, I truly understand and know my wife. I understand when she says, oh, sure, that's fine. Go ahead. You can go. I know that that's not at all what that means. I know things will not go well for me if I do. Okay? It's not the word she's saying. It's the tone that she's using. Okay? But I also know that when my wife comes up to me and just starts crying, that I know that there's something she's really overwhelmed with. She doesn't have to explain it all to me. We don't need to set up a three-hour interview to understand because I understand her. I know her. We've lived together. We've grown in our relationship. And so this is that idea of no, okay? And so, once again, Jesus wants God to be, the Father to be glorified. So he wants to be glorified. But if you notice at the end in verse 5, something that we rarely think about, and that is, Glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. We forget sometimes that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed. And then the world was created. 
And then there was sin. And then God the Father asked the Son to go and to be born as a baby. And to live a life and experience all the things that we as humans experience. And to never sin and to pay the wrath for all sin on the cross. And that he would raise him from the dead, giving victory over death and sin. And so Jesus is also looking forward to being back with his Father to share in that glory as God the Son before the world existed. Okay? So th those are some things, like I said, I could, I mean, I, I could keep you guys here all night. All right, but those are a couple of things that I, I really want to point out that are important as we continue to lay the groundwork. Let's go on. Next, Jesus is going to go from praying for himself in this intimate prayer with his Father to for the disciples. I, verse 6, I revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you saved me. Okay, what is eternal life? That they may know the only true God and the one who has sent Jesus Christ. So he's laying the groundwork here for... Why is he asking for this prayer for the disciples? Jesus is giving a rationale for why he's praying for things. Sometimes when we pray, we really need to stop and think, what are we specifically praying for? And why is it that we're asking God for it? Is it for us? Are we asking it because we want, um, we have a, a really legitimate reason claiming scripture or because we know that it's something that God is asking us to do to do that. So he continues on. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. If you want to find people that really like to find a verse that shows why Jesus isn't as loving as he says he is, you'll find people that want to talk about John 17, 9 because they take it completely out of context. Once again, this is Jesus. He is praying to his father. He is praying for himself. He is now praying for his disciples. John 3.16 already let us know that God so loved the world, right, that he sent Jesus. So Jesus clearly loves the world, but in this prayer, he is specifically asking for prayer for the disciples, okay? So just a little side note, but it's really important that we always take things into context. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is, uh, everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one. Okay? So Jesus is saying that, like, I've been protecting them. I've been teaching them. I've been giving them your word. But now I am going to you. So he is now turning and asking the Father to protect them. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you gave me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the son of destruction, so scripture may be fulfilled. He's speaking of Judas there. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so the reason I kind of took time to really slow down on that of not taking them out of the world is that it, Jesus was sent to the world to be the light, to be the salvation of the world. He is now commissioning just as God the Father sent the Son. So the Latin, ver, Latin translation of this passage would, would indicate that term being sent out, where we get our word missionary from. So just like God the Father sent the Son out into the world to fulfill what God needed to have happen in order to restore our relationship with him, with the disciples, Jesus is now doing the same thing. Okay? God the Father, I want you to pr protect them because they're not of the world just like I'm not of the world. But I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to take them to glory with me. I'm asking that you protect them while they're in the world, and he's sending them out now. Now they are going to do the work that Jesus was doing. He has been preparing them. He is getting ready to send them out. And so he says there in verse 19, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify themself, myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so what's really important is as we look at this prayer for the disciples, and, you know, a couple of things that, that I want to draw out of this is that sometimes we have this thought that we take Scripture like be in the world but not of the world, and we can run to an extreme with that. And we can find ourselves in this holy collection of people that are setting themselves apart for God but they are only with each other and they have this closed little community where the only people there are the people that know Christ and they are not going out into the world and sharing the good news of Christ with others. What would have happened if God the Son would have just decided that like, I'm going to find a nice shady tree and just pray all day long with my Heavenly Father? But no, he, he did what, what no person on earth could possibly do and what is unfathomable thing for. A holy God who is perfect and who has never sinned was asked to come and take on human flesh, experience all of the things that we experience as humans, and then die as an innocent sacrifice for sin past, present, and future for all. That's what he was asked to do. And he is telling the Father, I have been keeping up with what you have asked me to do. And now I'm asking you to sanctify them in the truth of your word. And I sanctify myself by the truth for them. That word sanctify would be like if you think of a very serious athlete. I, I had the privilege of knowing a wrestler that competed um, in the World Games and the Olympics. Uh, he was in my dorm for a couple years of one of the seven schools I went for in my undergrad. And it was a small school, and this guy was crazy. 
I mean, this guy got up in the morning, listened to Conan the Barbarian soundtrack. He walked to, he walked to the showers naked. Um, he got back in his room. He got his books. He went to class. He went to the weight room. He went to wrestling practice. He came home, back to his dorm room. He listened to Conan the Barbarian. He worked out again. He prayed. He went to sleep every day. That's all he did. And everybody was just like afraid of him. So nobody said anything to him. But at the same time, he is now the wrestling coach at Wheaton College, but he is a world champion wrestler because he had set his sights. He had sanctified himself for the purpose of trying to win the gold. So he didn't look at it like I'm missing out on having pizza whenever I want. I'm missing out on the social aspect of this. I'm missing out of all these other things. He had his mindset. He was sanctifying himself for this one purpose. And the glory was to be able to be victorious for something way down the road that was more important. Not like, look at everything I'm missing out on, but look what I get to do. Look what my glory is going to be. Jesus was not looking at all the things that he had to put aside. And oh, woe is me. I get to glorify and obey my Father. And I am sanctifying myself for that. So I take joy in the fact that I won't sin. I take joy in the fact that I get to put up with people as I teach them, as I love them. And I am looking forward to the fact that I am now getting to send them out. And I can trust my Father who I'm praying for that he will keep my request to protect them. Okay? Now, Verse 20. Before we get to verse 20, back to, to how this chapter came into my life. After becoming a believer, I always struggle a little bit with people that, and if this is you, please, I am not trying to cheapen your experience at all. I just, I did not experience this. You know, I was light as a feather, and fireworks were going off everywhere, and I just felt at peace with Jesus. And, you know, to me, it, it really wasn't that. It was just it became blatantly clear who Jesus was, who I clearly was, in my desperate need of him. And so I accepted his invitation and took on what he did for me and rested my faith in what Christ has done for me, repented of my sin, and called him my Lord and Savior. And so... Things were going along well in my young walk with Christ. And I, I enjoyed, I was, it was in a barren place where all of a sudden all these people started coming to Christ. And all of a sudden there were these amazing God stories that got, started popping up and prayer became really popular among college students and young career people. And it was amazing. And it was really cool. And all of a sudden one day I fought this horrible spiritual warfare I mean, it was awful. It was ever-present. It never left. It consumed every part of my day. But because of my past and the life that I had walked out of, I trusted nobody. I had been hurt. I, did, I had put myself in compromising situations, so I also felt like I couldn't talk about things. Like, it was agony. And in my immaturity, because now in my maturity, I understand I would have done things a lot different. But in my immaturity, I just kept silent about it. And I just kept going back to like, God, I made this decision, 
that like if you're real and you show yourself real to me, I'm going to follow you and do whatever you want me to do. And so, so I held that and I would go to my closet every night. I would close the door and I would write verses that came across my path and highlight, highlighter that glue in the dark, and I'd close the light out, and I'd just look at those verses, and I'd just pray those verses. Because also what started happening is it felt like, it wasn't true, but it felt like God had disappeared. And it felt like I was just talking to myself. Like God wasn't really listening. God wasn't removing these obstacles in my life. These things just continued on and on. And I was going through the motions of a lot of things and trusting in Christ, but at the same time, I was very confused and I was a very, you have to remember that sometimes we want to fast forward when people become a Christian and all of a sudden they're a mature saint, okay? I was young in my walk with Christ. And so as I struggled, I was troubled. I had one person that came into my life that was passing through for a short time sharing their amazing testimony with youth. And he asked me to drive him around to a couple different schools to speak to you. He could tell I was troubled. He came from a very hard background. And he shared with me, some things and ask what it was about me that I was not opening up about. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. And then he was like, well, you can trust me. And so he shared his past. And so I felt like I could trust him a little bit. And he said, Luke, I don't know why, but I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. You are safe. So I was like, well, it's easy for you to say. But, but I did, like, I kept coming back that this guy made this statement. And so a couple weeks go by, I go on a mission trip. Somebody pays for me to go on a mission trip to New York City. And I'm in Harlem and in Hell's Kitchen. And I'm sharing the gospel with people. And if you've ever been to Harlem, if you want to talk about feeling the presence of evil and darkness... That is a place for sure that you will feel it. So in sharing the gospel with all the spiritual oppression that I'm dealing with, all these things are happening. I mean, I'm about ready to explode. I mean, I can't take this anymore. I don't know what to do. I am being attacked by the devil so hard and so aggressive. And in my young walk with Christ, I didn't know what to do except just keep trusting God, keep reading the Bible, keep praying. That's all I knew to do and, and sing from my toes in worship to him. That's all I could do. And I had a friend of mine that came by to me and said, Luke, you're troubled, aren't you? And I said, I am. And I had known this guy since I was a little, little kid, and he was a pastor that had moved away, and his group had actually joined our group in New York City. He said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to read John 17. I want you to read it three to five times. But here's the thing. Every time your mind starts racing or starts thinking about something else, you have to start all over again. So you can ask Eric. That, for me, is a hard command because I'm like, squirrel, or what kind of coffee do you have this morning? Like in the middle of a conversation. It drives my wife nuts, okay? So as I am, and I'm an audio, audible kind of uh, processor, so I don't know how many hours I was trying to get through three or five times without something else coming to mind. I don't even think I made it through five times. I might have made it through three times. But this, this is what Jesus shared in my sanctification of the truth because God's word is truth. And I would like to read for you all. It's going to be a little bit different than the version you have. Verse 20. 
uh, through the end of the chapter. I call this the LSV, the Luke Standard Version. Okay? Because what I used to do is I used to write the scripture out as I understood what they were saying. And I remember as I got back home and I did this assignment that this is what Christ laid on my heart. In verse 20, we pick up. I pray not only for these, but also for Luke and the others who will believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May Luke and the others also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, even Luke, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in Luke and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved Luke as you have loved me. Father, I want Luke to know that he has been given to me, and I want him to be where I am, so that he will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you. And Luke has known that you sent me. I made your name known to Luke and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved with me may be in Luke and I may be in Luke. Amen? And to a person that's struggling... that feels like God might have just abandoned ship or that the oppression can't get any greater and that there is no hope and why isn't someone listening? I'm not trying to be weird and I'm not sensationalizing this. That night, I got into my bed and I pulled the covers up, turned my light out, and I heard a voice say to me, Luke, you are my child and I love you. You know what's amazing? The next day, all of the things that were happening, all of the threats of violence, all the things that I can't go into specifics of that were just unbelievable, they were gone. And I have never forgotten from that day forward that for believers it is important for us to understand that what the father heard his son praying for is unity among us. That we would understand that that wasn't just for Luke. That was for all who would believe in Christ. So therefore, if Christ dwells in us, there should be a sweet unity within the body. Redeemer should be known as a unified church that knows that they belong to and are loved by Jesus, so much so that the love that God the Father has for God the Son is the same love that God the Father and God the Son has for them. And they have been sent out 
not your two pastors. All of you have been sent out to share that good news, the gospel. And just like the father and son, son get to share in that glory, Christ cares enough about us that before he went through the worst agony that any human has ever faced and something that God should have never had to face, that he wants you all, he wants me, he wants all of his fathers, followers to be with him. And to see the glory that he shared with the Father before the world began. You are not abandoned, brother and sister. You don't live this life and then one day you die and you get a pair of diapers and wings and a little harp and float around in the sky forever. Quite the contrary. You have been called, reconciled to God. You are found in Christ. You are his ambassadors. And that when you have finished the race and your time comes, you will be in the presence of the Lord and you will live with him forever to see his glory. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will reign with him. There's so much to this life. That's why Christ is the only one who can give you a life and a life that is abundant. There is nothing in this world that can give you that. There is no relationship with any human being on this earth that comes close to that. And that is the prayer of Christ of wanting to make sure that the Father honored this request. And so as we look back at our big idea of being glorified because Christ was glorified that it allows us for to be protected by the Father. We talked about that in John 10. No one can take us out of his hand. And no one is greater than the Father. And no one can take us out of the Father's hand. We are protected. And then just on top of it, the cherry on top, Christ asked to make sure that the Father protects them. We have a purpose. We have been, we have been restored and we have been sent out by God's own son to continue the work that he began that we be unified and that we get to share in his glory with all of his followers i don't know where you are today in your walk with christ if you don't know christ i know eric myself many here would be happy more than happy honored to share with you about the love of Jesus and how much he cares for you. But maybe you're going through a season that is rough and maybe it feels like you're all alone and God is not listening. We are sanctified by God's word and God's word is truth. And if we are not in God's word and we are not faithful to look at his word and let it apply to our lives, then we can't be set apart and sanctified for him. And we're going to listen to the lies of the world that a lot of times are dressed in light. We are going to feel hopeless and abandoned and listen to the lies 
of the evil one, the accuser of the brother, a.k.a. Satan, who wants to make your life miserable because he is afraid. He is fearful of bodies of Christ that are sanctified for Christ in his word, living it out with their hopes set on him. That is the biggest threat to his work. And for those of you that would say amen to all this, and you've got that tattoo, and you know what I'm talking about, are you on mission? Are you going out? Are you spreading that to others? Are you praying alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ that are hurting? Are you sharing with the lost the good news of Jesus? And if you are, keep on the good fight of faith. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word and that your word is truth. Thank you for a Savior who did not have to, but willingly did what you asked him to do to be our sacrifice. And before he was betrayed and before everything went live, he stopped to pray and ask you for these things. Help us to be unified. Help us to remember we have a purpose. And Lord, help us to know that you have not abandoned us and you love us. And there is no greater love than a man laid down his life for his friend. And we are your friends. In Jesus' name, amen.